good morning, and, uh, and welcome to all those who are visiting or, or guests with us this morning. What, what a joy to have uh, the choir singing this morning. Man, that was so, so well done. So thank you to our choir, uh, for those who are still in the room. They're going to be back for 6 o'clock, so you want to hear them again? <laughs> You're welcome to come back. Um, you, you'll have noticed our decorations this morning, the, the roots and the bark. You know, roots is this word picture that we, we use in, in many ways in our culture. Actually, we, when people talk about, you know, going back to their roots, sometimes, sometimes they're thinking in terms of maybe a trip back to Ireland or the Ukraine or somewhere, wherever they come from, and to explore sort of where were our ancestors from. So people sometimes use kind of this idea of our roots to speak of the place that we come from. Or the phrase we often use, we talk about putting down roots. That often happens when a young person or a young maybe couple, they move to a town and they decide, you know what, we're going to build a life here. Uh, Make friends in this place. Maybe buy a home on the terra firma of this ground and start a family. I mean, rooted in this this one place. You know, of course, a, a plant can't grow without its roots going down into good soil. It draws up water, it draws up nutrients, and that's what allows it to blossom and to flourish. And and the place that we plant ourselves, both in terms of our our local setting, but even more importantly, um, where we tap our meaning in life, where we get our sense of love and belonging and worth, what we believe is ultimately true about, you know, the world and our place in it, that will shape the whole rest of our lives. And in his letter to the Colossians, we'll see that Paul draws on this same agricultural metaphor of being rooted to make his big point, his main point, and it's this, that this young church, this new church must remain deeply rooted in Christ. Their roots need to go down into this place and no other. If they do, they will grow. They will flourish. They'll be fruitful. If not, it spells disaster. Let's pray this morning as we begin to dig into this book of Colossians. Would you join me? Oh God, that we would be deeply rooted in Jesus. That we would be a people grounded and growing. Help us to hear you, Holy Spirit, and what you want to say to your church today. And give us the faith to respond. Amen. So let's listen in together. Uh, If you have your Bibles here or your app or on your phone, why don't you open up to Colossians chapter 1. It's in the New Testament. It's probably like seven-eighths near the end if you're looking for it in your Bible. And let me begin reading at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all of God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you've already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epiphras, our dear fellow servant, who's a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Just hit pause for a moment here. 
this man, Epaphras, um, we find out later in the letter, he's like a Colossian local. That's where he's from. Um, we don't know for sure, but it's, it probably what happened is he's, he probably met Paul when Paul was preaching in the city of Ephesus and responded in faith and, and came to, to experience the love and grace of Jesus himself. And he was so overjoyed with this. He said, I need to take this back to my city. And so he goes to Colossae and he begins to tell the people there about the incredible love of Jesus and what he's done for them on the cross. And by God's grace, a new community is formed. A Jesus community is formed in that city. Um, and now Epaphras has gone back and he's, he's met with Paul. He's brought this report about this new church that started there. Paul is in prison at this time. We find that out at the end of this letter as well. And he may be in Ephesus in prison. There's a number of places where Paul was imprisoned. We don't know for sure, but that makes sense to me. And then he, he comes back and he brings this letter back to the church. So, so Paul has actually never met this church before. He didn't plant it. But man, is he ever delighted that God has worked through this servant Epaphras. And so Paul goes on in this way, verse 9. For this reason, since the day we first heard about you, we haven't stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, and being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. After introducing himself and and Timothy, look again at how Paul addresses this group of believers. He says, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, this is really important terminology, like every word counts. To God's holy people in Colossae. Now, you know, when we hear the word holy, um, in our culture, it can have this kind of, you know, vaguely churchy sort of ring to it, which for many people um, means something more along the lines of being a killjoy prude who doesn't know how to laugh. You know what I mean. We hear holy, we think Ned Flanders. Um, So the word holy comes with a fair amount of baggage when we hear it in our culture, in our world today. But is that what Paul means? Uh, The word holy means set apart, distinct. Set apart for a special, distinct purpose. It means other. Uh, One theologian, he says it like this. When we have company over for dinner, we pull out the holy dishes from the holy cupboard, and we get out the, the holy silverware. Um, The point is this, that at least in part what the word holy means is set apart for a special purpose, to be distinct. But then we have to ask the question, distinct from what? Well, the reality that becoming God's holy people is only possible because they've been rescued from the dominion of darkness, as Paul says in verse 13. That is the realm or the sphere of life that is opposed to goodness, beauty, and the justice of God. So to be holy means to be distinct from the darkness. And and the darkness is a word in in biblical kind of thought is associated with both evil and with ignorance. 
So now their eyes have been opened to the light and their hearts have been transformed by the goodness of Jesus. And so Paul says this group of Jesus followers are only holy in the sense that they're, they're no longer participants in evil. It means to be holy means to become like God in your character. To be holy is to be set apart for the, the purposes and intent that God made you out of the darkness, out of captivity to self-centeredness and sin, and into the light, the light that means self-giving love for others, the very pattern that Jesus lived. And notice, being God's holy people is only possible by being in Christ. Paul calls them the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. For for as Paul said, I'm going to read verse 13 again, God rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom, that is the realm and the way of life, the kingdom of the son he loves, and this is key, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What qualifies us to be kingdom people? Like what really removes our sins? Paul says it's only possible in Christ. It's Jesus and what he's done. That's what qualifies us. So if you are in Christ, you are set apart for what? To be faithful to Jesus wherever he's planted you. See, to the church that Paul's addressing, he calls them faithful. Faithful in Colossae. And it's not only just to state where they are. Like, they know where they are, okay? They don't need to be reminded of that. But here's one thing that Paul is saying here. They need to bear fruit there. They need to be God's faithful people in that city, right where they're planted. Now, Colossae was already a city in decline at this point. It's, it's located in the Lycus Valley um, in modern-day Turkey. It's about 180 kilometers inland from Ephesus, which is on the Aegean Sea in the Mediterranean there. Um, and, and it was like one of those interior of BC cities when the, the forest industry kind of begins collapsing and everything's dependent on it. Like the jobs start drying up, people start moving away. That's Colossae in the first century. And so it is, it is not like the hip and exciting place to be. Um, but Paul is thrilled that the good news has taken root in this city, in that group of believers. It's formed into this Jesus-following community. Um, scholar N.T. Wright, he says it like this. And, and he notes that like in Christ and in Colossae are kind of these, these terms being played off each other. He says, to, descri- to, to be described as being in Christ and in Colossae is to be located with precision in the purposes of God. As a member of both his true people, like universal, and of a particular earthly community where one is called to service and witness. For you who are in Christ, you are set apart for God's good purposes, but that will have to be earthed in a local body of believers. Don't miss that last line. Again, from N.T. Wright, he says, in that particular earthly community where one is called to service and witness. See, God has rooted us in this time and in this neighborhood for this season and for a purpose. The city of Colossae, they needed this church community there. How else was that rest of the city going to hear and respond to the gospel unless there was a faithful, committed community who were demonstrating in their life together that transformative work of Jesus. How else are they going to know it? Who else is going to be consistently meeting the needs, the desperate needs of those who are impoverished in their city with the love of Jesus unless there's a church there to do it? 
It's the same for our city of Kamloops. You and I, part of a local body like this, we are God's means for making Jesus known in this city. It's not someone else's job, it's ours. The church is God's plan A for the world, and there is no plan B. So we need to be faithful where we are planted, to grow in this local soil. You know, we live in an an era of almost endless options in a lot of ways. Uh, Certainly way more options for what we could do with our life, where we could live, um, compared to any previous time in history. And that, just simply having so many choices, has a major impact on actually how people commit. I don't think it would be an overstatement to say that, that a general feature, one general feature of our culture is that out of a fear that we might miss out on something better, we're, we're reticent to commit to like what's now and in front of us, just in case something better comes along. I think that pattern of I don't want to commit, I'm not willing to go all in, has actually really impacted the level of faithfulness people have to a local body of believers a local church. And that's impacting actually how our cities are functioning as well. So maybe, maybe you're at a place where you're saying, you know what, I I haven't really, I've been resisting being really rooted in a local Jesus community or really serving where I'm planted. So maybe it's just something you need to talk to Jesus about today. Maybe you need to take a step of deeper commitment and say, actually, I need to be rooted, yes, in Christ, but also in a Christ community. Maybe you're ready to go all in today. We can help you figure out what your next steps are. So contact one of the pastors and we can work with you on that. But you know, Paul shifts uh, then to giving thanks for this community. What he's heard is going on there. He says, you know, we've heard the reports of your faith and your love and that that springs from, here's what he says, from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. Paul sees that this community is bearing the fruit of love for each other. That's rooted in the good news of the gospel. But notice how Paul also uses the word true here. It's really interesting. Why does he need to say true message of the gospel? I think this signals, this is the first signal of Paul's big concern for this church community. He's going to go on in chapter 2, and we'll see this in a lot of detail, uh, to head-on address some major concerns for this young church. But let me just read you a couple verses. Chapter 2, verse 4 says, I tell you this, and it's, this is the explanation of the gospel, the mystery of Jesus that's for all people. He says, I tell you this so no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. And in 2.8, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition, and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. We'll look at more of detail on on weeks to come, but the big point is this. This community has responded in faith to the true message of the gospel, and now they need to cling to it. Like they have truly understood God's grace, but they need to make sure that no one distorts their vision or derails their faith in the reality of God's grace expressed through his son Jesus. Uh, I think Eugene Peterson is right when he says that anyone who looks seriously at Jesus, if, if anyone looks really seriously at the life of Jesus, they can't but walk away impressed by his life and teaching and know that they are dealing with like the most remarkable greatness. 
Of course, there's people who are going to be, you know, who just don't know the Jesus story. They may be ignorant of his story or haven't really looked into his life, and they might not be super impressed. But he goes on to say this, but it's quite common for those who consider him truly important to include others who seem to be equally important in his company, Buddha, Moses, Socrates, and Muhammad, for a historical start, along with some favorites, personal favorites. For these people, Jesus is important, but not central. His prestige is considerable, but it's not preeminent. At least some of the Christians in Colossae, it seems, are in danger of taking that line of reasoning. So Paul is writing to restore Jesus to his rightful place in their lives. Next week, we get to see this um, beautiful picture that Paul paints of how Jesus is preeminent. He is the creator, the sustainer, and the redeemer of all life. He is God and King. And that's why Paul writes in what really is the thesis of the whole book in in 2, 6, and 7, he says this, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Everything this community needs for their maturity and life is found in the story of the gospel. Paul is saying, don't go chasing after something different. You already have the truth. And the same is true for us. You don't need to go, okay, Jesus is great, but I need something more. No, you don't. (laughs) The truth is found in him. Paul's talking about the gospel, and for some of you might say, well, what is is that quite? Um, It's this. It's not a concept. The gospel isn't a concept. It's the message, the good news that Jesus is Lord of all. It's the message who is a person. Jesus is the good news. To, to, to announce the good news is to announce the person of Jesus. Let me just give you a, a brief sketch. His own life, perfect, sinless life. The picture of what God created humanity to be like. Jesus, God the Son, lived the life we couldn't live perfectly, sinless died the death we should have died in our place and rose again in triumphant vindication as the first fruits of God's new humanity to bring together all of us who have put our trust in him who now await the world made new without evil or sin or death. That is, in a nutshell, the gospel. And Paul is praying that they would have all wisdom and understanding now to grow into that reality. See, the gospel isn't the ABCs of faith and then we just got to move on to like deeper things. No, the gospel is the A to Z. It's the whole thing. Everything of your life needs to flow from being rooted in Jesus. So now, Paul's heard this report of their faith and love and he has this overwhelming sense of praise. He sees the fruit of the gospel content creating a gospel culture. See, true gospel content results in a gospel culture. What is it? Well, in this church, we see their deep love for one another. The gospel creates a culture where there's a sense of love and belonging, especially a sense of love and belonging for those that the rest of our culture might say, we don't really want to have anything to do with you. That needs to be the place where they become central in the church community. That is what a gospel culture will create. 
remember, when the, gospel, when the gospel grips a community, the language of our relationships change. Paul addresses this community as brother and sister. That's familial language. That's I belong to you and you belong to me and we're a part of this family together. And a gospel culture is also one of deep thanksgiving. Look at verse 3 again. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Paul sees what God is doing in this community and he can't help but be elated. He is floored by God's kindness. And the only appropriate response is thank you, God. I was uh, Iris Harrison. Um, she's not here this morning that I see, but she was going to share with us. She's our oldest member, I believe. And, um, you know, people at, in a time of sickness and where she really needed support, you came through for her. And she had contacted us earlier this week and just said, can I just stand up and tell people how thankful I am for the way I've been loved? I think she's 96, got some health concerns, but she just wanted to say thank you because a gospel culture of love will also lead to a sense of thanksgiving. And you know, I see folks in this church all the time living out that gospel culture. And I just want to give thanks to God for it. Whenever I see it spring up, um, and, and that's what it means to be rooted in the gospels. We're going to be thankful people. See, Paul recognizes what God is doing in the community, and he praises God, but then he shifts to prayer. Why? Because they got to keep going. They have to keep growing. And that will also be a work of God. They can't expect to grow like that unless God comes in and does the work. So he prays that it would happen. What does he pray? This. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. I'm going to stop there for a second. Understand the word will here, um, it comes from, it's the Greek word thalema is what he uses. And it means desire. What God wants. So what's he saying? A knowledge of God's will means knowing what God desires for you, his people, how he intends for you to live. Like it absolutely doesn't mean knowing your future. I know often we play, I want to know God's will for me in this. Okay, his God, God's will for you is that you would live the way he's called you to. This isn't dealing with knowing something about your future. That's just not what Paul's talking about. And here's how you can see it. Look at the next phrase. I mean, the rest of the letter is actually going to go on to describe in detail what that actually looks like, what God's will for us is. But the next phrase, Paul says, so that. Why do you need to know his will? So that you might live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. See, this isn't knowledge for no reason. Why do they and we need a sense of understanding about what God wants so that we can live what God wants? Knowing what God, God wants, that's incomplete unless we're going to do what God wants for us. So Paul is praying that into the lives of these believers so they can take that gospel content rooted in Jesus and let that become the thing that shapes them into a gospel culture, bearing fruit in every good work. Then he prays that they would be growing in the knowledge of God. Remember, Paul is concerned. Don't look beyond Jesus. You're not going to find life outside of him. You don't need anything else but Jesus. There is absolutely nothing you're going to find there. Put your roots here, Paul says. And I think he means at least two things when he speaks of growing in the knowledge of God. One... 
Paul is a Jewish man, and he's writing from the Jewish thought world. And the Jewish thought world, to know somebody is to participate in life with them. To know someone is to be intimately connected with that person. So first, to know, (laughs) to grow in the knowledge of God is to experience God's own person. It's more than theoretical knowledge. And that's why Paul can combine knowing God with bearing fruit. You can't really experience a life-transforming connection with God and it not actually change your real life. But, and this is super important, knowing God personally doesn't rule out knowing more about God too. See, God has seen fit to provide us, not only with the faithful witness of men and women throughout the centuries, who starting with the first, the women who go to the tomb and they see Jesus alive and they tell the disciples, starting with them all the way down through history, somebody has been telling somebody else about Jesus and what he's done. God has provided for us in that way. But not only that, God has also His spirit has inspired a faithful men to write down what we need to know about God in the text of the Bible. We actually can listen to what God wants for us. So Paul's seen this great work in this little Jesus community in Colossae, and they need to keep running hard in the direction they're already going, not swayed from thinking of Jesus as anything but the supreme one, his loving leadership over the whole of the cosmos. But here's where it comes down for us. You know, often when people, especially if they're adults, they come and they put their faith in Jesus, they often experience this huge, like almost whiplash kind of transition in life. And they just want to know and drink in all of God all the time. It's a beautiful thing to watch. They just, they experience this, um, it's almost like a romantic relationship. You know, when I met my, who is now my wife, when I met Catherine for the first time, we couldn't have a conversation that was less than two to three hours long. Like if we had the time, we were talking for three hours. It was hard to get schoolwork done. You know, it's like the experiential relationship generated a desire just to know the other one more. And now if God is God, just consider the inexhaustible beauty of who he is. There's often this posture of readiness to know God deeply when people first come to know him, but, and I've experienced this too, but we who follow Jesus a long time, maybe we've studied our Bibles and we've read them year after year, we can begin to lose a sense of wonder. Like when, when you read the Bible, you, you, you think, oh, I, re- I already know what this passage says it's about, and so you kind of skim quickly past it. Or, or do you ever come to the Bible with an attitude that says, am I really going to get to know God more in this time? I doubt it. And you would, you would admit it, certainly out loud. You might not want to even admit it to yourself, but it happens. I know it because it happens to me. So can I challenge you with this word? You know so little of who God is, and I do too. Would you be open to learn and see the beauty of Jesus in ways you've never seen before? Maybe you didn't have the maturity to see it before. Maybe now God has prepped you to wrestle with something new of him that he wants to show you. The reality is, even when I come to a text, um, I come as a different person every time I come to it. 
or at least we should, because if God is alive in us, he's transforming us day in and day out. Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 4. I'm a different person every time I come to the text. And if that's true, then I'm not bringing the same set of lenses every time I read. I'm bringing a new set of lenses, a new set of experiences to it in really technical language. Biblical scholars call that the hermeneutical spiral, just to tuck in the back of your head and go look it up later. Okay, but I'm different. Every time you come to the text, you're a different person, so you should expect to see different and new and helpful things if you're postured with a readiness to learn more of who God is. More than that, the sins of your 20s won't be the sins of your 30s or 40s or 70s. So I'm going to have to be open to God's work of challenging me, revealing himself to me in, in new ways, partly because I'm a different person. We should expect that if the living God is speaking through this text, that he's inspired through the power of his spirit, when I read it, I should expect that it's going to step on my toes. That God will offend me, challenge me, cause me to question my motives in maybe ways he never has before or I've never seen before. See, if, if I found that God seems to be agreeing with everything I already think, all of my currently held positions, well, God already agrees with all my positions. Guess what? You are not worshiping God if that's the case. You are worshiping a projection of your imagination because the living God is always going to be challenging you you are not done, and I am not done. So yes, if the text isn't stepping on your toes, if when you read it doesn't upset the apple cart for you on a regular basis, I want to suggest that you're not paying attention or that you don't have a posture that says, God, I want to grow in my knowledge of you. Said differently, if we come with the posture that says, I'm as mature as I'm going to get right now, and you've never say it out loud, I'd never say it out loud, of course. But internally, that could be happening in your heart. If you have an unrecognized posture that says, man, I'm as mature as I'm going to get, that is a sure sign of your immaturity. The Proverbs would say that's a sure sign of your folly. I know, I've just put all that in rather negative terms, and I don't always speak in those terms, but sometimes I need it to shake me up. Let me put it positively, as Paul does. He says of himself in Philippians 3, 12 and following, he says, brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself to have taken hold of it. He's talking about knowing Jesus. I haven't really got to that place of knowing Jesus yet, but there's one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind me, I strain, and I strain ahead toward what is ahead. Paul knew himself. I'm not done. I've got to grow. I want to participate more in Jesus. It's the Apostle Paul saying that. Man, and like Paul, we have the absolute pleasure of actually having access to the living God. For Christ the King has done everything necessary to offer salvation to you and I at the cost of his life in our place. And his resurrection is the firm assurance that the risen King is on his throne. And we've been gifted the Holy Spirit to make Jesus present to our hearts at all times. What an incredible reality. The king of kings, the one who has won the war on our behalf, invites and empowers us to know him if we'll have the humility to say, actually, I want to. And so now, I want to know the God who really is God. Will you help me to grow in that? See, as a community, we can't just know God in isolation on our own. We need each other to help us grow. So will you help me grow? Can we be a community that doesn't sit back with our arms crossed and say, well, you know, I think we got this God thing sorted. Uh, 
But would we be open to the good work he wants to do in us? Be ready to be challenged and changed because the gospel culture is a learning culture. Now, Paul's praying isn't done, and neither is my sermon quite yet. He also asks that this community be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Why does he pray that? Praise it because the life that God made us for will take guts. Remember, this young church is receiving the letter from Paul, and Paul is where? He's in jail because he's saying, Jesus is Lord. He's wandering around, and he's making this announcement that Jesus is king over all in a world that wasn't always excited to hear it and was happy to take violent action against that. It's true that a a ship is safe in its harbor, but that's not what ships are made for. You and I, we as a church, we are also not made for the safety of harbor. We are made for the risky world of traveling the seas of life with God for the sake of the world. The missionary nature of the church will call us to continual growth. It'll call us to be deeply rooted in the content of the gospel so that the culture of the gospel would be what bears fruit. And we'll need gospel strength for the task. I needed this word this week. Uh, You know, as we move in this new season of a a third service, man, oh man, that is calling, uh, that is is drawing on stuff that I've got to tap into, (laughs) a new rhythm of life. And I need God's great endurance and patience in this process. It's kind of like we've been pushed out into a little bit deeper water and it has and it will call us to deeper commitment. If we're committed to, to seeing our neighbors and friends uh, get to know Jesus as Lord, that will call us to deeper places. See, young churches like the one in Colossae, they tend to be the most effective in reaching their communities with the good news of Jesus. And that shouldn't surprise us. You know, when, there, when there's a church that's young, it's just a small group of people and its focus is saying, so how do we reach our neighborhood for Jesus? And so that's what they do. They just get on with that project. Everybody in the church needs to be involved. As a church matures in years, there is more and more emphasis on caring for those within the community, which is right and true and good. It's healthy. But the problem comes, the unhealth comes when our eyes drop from that sense of what Paul said in verse 6, that the gospel is bearing fruit, it's growing throughout the whole world. If our eyes drop from that and our part in that, that's where the issue comes. Young churches, again, they require everyone to be rooted in Jesus and then to work together to win the world. So my question is this, can we be young as a church, young at heart? Young in that sense that we would say as a community that we're, we're going to, everyone be involved and ask that question, how do we just reach our, our city with the good news of Jesus? And then can we also be very old, old in this sense, that we're drawing on the very old one thing, the person who is our life, the person of Jesus. Notice again, it leads to the ultimate terminus. What Paul is praying for ultimately goes this way. It says, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. When the good news gets a hold of our hearts, what comes out is naturally praise. Joyful thanks to the Father. So just a couple next steps for those of you here. And the worship team can come forward now at this point too. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus already, but you're in coasting mode. 
uh, your level of connection to a local body of believers maybe is limited to saying hi in the hallway. Um, Man, I'm glad you're here if that's you, by the way. But growing where you're planted will probably require that you take another step and just say, I want to get involved in maybe a life group, get some people in my life who can challenge me and help me grow, study the Bible together. Maybe it's stepping out and saying, man, I actually need to be serving. I've got these gifts God has given me, but they're sort of lying dormant right now. Do you need to take that next step? Maybe it begins with a scary prayer that goes like this. God, um, deepen me. Show me yourself. Take me to that next place. Or maybe you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. Again, I'm so glad you're here. If Paul is right about Jesus being one and the same as God, whose life was broken so our lives could heal, who now reigns as Lord of all, and I think he is right on that. If it's true that God is gracious toward us, that he freely invites us to be forgiven, to be rescued from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of the son he loves, and I really think it is, then there is nothing more important for you than to put your trust in him today. This is the only source of hope. I couldn't offer you anything else. I've done funerals for um, people who come from, you know, families uh, or people who, like, didn't really want to have anything to do with Jesus. And that is such a different place to be in than when you do the funeral for someone who lived in Christ. We hear in this that there is hope, a hope that comes from heaven, a a hope that Jesus... um, gives us and he alone can give us. Do you want that hope? You can have it today. Will you transfer your trust to him? Or maybe you're here and you are thriving, you're growing, your roots are deep, you're excited about what God is doing in you. Don't hold that excitement back. The rest of our community needs you to be sharing it, to be living in it, to be passing it on to others. Let's pray. God, I thank you um, that we have this incredible word that you inspired to be written not only for that community, but now, Holy Spirit, you're still speaking to our hearts. And Lord, I want to pray for those who maybe are in this room and they need to take another step. Maybe it's a first step. Maybe it's a first step towards you. Maybe that person just needs to pray something like this, like, God, I recognize that I need you. I have been living in the dominion of darkness and I need your light today to break in. Jesus, I confess my sin to you and I receive your new life. God, if that, we thank you that you answer that prayer, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from everything we've done wrong. We're so thankful for that. Where God, maybe some of us here just need to take, um, we've been coasting and we need to say no more. I want to grow. So God, would you grow us this week? We open ourselves to you. We want to know you more. We want to know you truly. So help us to grow. Amen.